today. Uh, is, uh, I'll explain a little bit more about it later, but there's a book called Realign, and I gave one out last week. How is it, dude? <laughs> Pretty good? Okay, well. Okay, I'm going to try this again. <clears throat> November 6th. Anybody's birthday? Uh, October 8th? 9th? 10th? 12th? 14th? 16th? Is that yours? Oh, you already have the book. Okay, golly, you're going to make me go again. December 2nd. December 10th. Uh, oh, November 10th. December 10th. There you go. You raise your hand. It's all yours. <laughs> you got it. I <laughs> um, just want to show you a little picture here. Um, this is uh, called the baptism. You know, and the, and the statement there is that everything that goes into the water is the Lord's, right? This guy's not quite sure about that one. Uh, yes, everything, oh God, except my pocketbook, right? <clears throat> you can kind of get that picture. You know, that kind of describes, in this sermon series, we're using this word realign um, to describe the process of getting our money and our possessions under the Lordship of Jesus, right? Unlike this photo, when we got baptized, we were committing to surrender every single thing of ours to the Lord. And this is really um, an opportunity to give our hearts and our lives and everything that we have to Jesus. So we are getting, right, take your hand today, you're getting that hand under the water. <laughs> you're letting your whole life be baptized in Jesus, including your finances. Um, whoever was here last week, you might remember, as we see here, we spoke about the wanter. You remember about the wanter? The wanter inside? We were born wanting, screaming from the womb, right? Asking and demanding uh, that we be fed. And we have this wanter inside. We spoke about this uh, issue of contentment. And we talked about realigning our hearts, requiring a lifelong process of learning contentment. Um, but today... Uh, well, I want to read this one passage before we get on to today. Philippians 4, 11-13 says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Praise God. Let's just let that wash over your heart as we look ahead today. As we look ahead today, we're going to discuss the concept of living simply. Why don't you say that? Living simply. I want to refer to a quote from Richard Foster's book on Celebration of Discipline, which is an incredible book if you've never read it before. I commend the entire book to you, but this quote speaks about simplicity, and I think it's a good place to start says, contemporary culture lacks both the inward reality and the outward lifestyle of simplicity. Inward, inwardly, modern man is fractured and fragmented. He is trapped in a maze of competing attachments. One moment he makes decisions on the basis of sound reason, and the next moment out of fear of what others will think of him. He has no unity or focus around which life is oriented. Orientated. Because we lack a divine center, our need for security has led us into an insane attachment to things. 
we must clearly understand that the lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. It is psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. Where planned obsolescence leaves off, psychological obsolescence takes over. We're made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they're worn out. The mass media have us convinced that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. We're going to see today through the scriptures that living simply starts in the mind, it works its way into our hearts, and it's completed in our actions. Point to your mind. It starts in your mind. It has everything to do with your mind. If you're not simple in your mind, I'm not talking about being a simpleton, someone who has no, <laughs> you know, uh, no uh, brain power up there, but I'm talking, if you're not simplistic in the way uh, that God gives you, it's going to be very difficult. It works its way into your heart. Your mind recalibrates your heart. And then, as Ron so graciously put it today to us, <laughs> with boldness. It works its way into our actions. Simplicity, we're going to talk. Just start with me here. Simplicity starts with the mind. That's God's perspective. Why don't you say God's perspective? That's what simplicity in the mind is. (laughs) To think simply, you know, we as human beings complicate simple things. But God has an incredible way of simplifying complicated things for His people. He challenged His people uh, or he challenged uh, those that were his disciples to come to him as little children and receive what he has to say. So we see that. This is basically, if we look at 2 Corinthians 11.3, this is what Paul, the apostle, was speaking of. Paul says here to the, um, the saints, the believers in Corinth, he says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Jesus. This is perspective on eternal realities based on God's Word. You know, I've I've traveled to about 40 countries in my day. I traveled a lot more in my 20s and my 30s. I went to all kinds of interesting places, all the stands, uh, you know, Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan, Tajikistan. Anybody been to Stanlands? They're a lot of fun. Went all over the world, and um, it was quite an adventure. But I spent a lot of time on airplanes. Airplanes, airplane food, airplane, uh, you know, everything to do with airplanes. Great airplanes, terrible airplanes. At one time, I read an article, and the three airplanes I'd just recently been on, uh, and I won't mention them out of grace, but the three airplanes that I'd just most recently been on were the three most dangerous airlines in the world. So I was like, oh, wow. Anyway, I've been on a few airplanes in my day. But why don't you picture yourself in an airplane? Kind of makes you shiver a little, maybe. But picture yourself in an airplane, and you got someone standing next to you, right? And um, they got a big bag. They got like a Mary Poppins bag, you know? They got stuff in it. And uh, so you get kicked off, and let's say, where do you want to head? Where are you going? Where? Seattle. Now, go further than that. Come on. Where do you want to go? Indonesia. Saya bike bike saja, as they say in Indonesia. Yes. So, <clears throat> so you're going to Indonesia, and it's, you know, it's a pretty good flight. But the person next to you pulls out a wall hanging, you know? 
and a small wall hanging and puts it right in front of them where the TV screen normally is. And they begin putting curtains up next to them, you know. And uh, they, uh, they, they do all kinds of things. And you're looking and you're wondering what's going on. Um, <clears throat> if you see them begin doing this, you begin wondering, why in the world are you putting up curtains? Why are you settling in for the long haul? We're just going to Indonesia. It's going to be 14 hours. But the reality of the point is that, uh, uh, that they have the wrong perspective, right? They have a wrong perspective on how long it is. And that's the way it is when we talk about this issue of simplicity and the issue of eternity. So often in our lives, you know, a trip to Indonesia could kind of compare, it can't even compare, um, in comparison with, uh, with eternity, you can't even compare the fact, it's, it's ridiculous, in a trip to Indonesia to a lifetime, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But our own lives compared to all of eternity is also a ridiculous thing. To think about the things that we cling to, the things that we possess our minds, and the things we're seeking to make ourselves comfortable with, to the eye of all heaven, may look a little bit strange. We're putting down our roots here at such a level that it, that it maybe looks a little funny from eternal, eternal perspective. You know, the key to, to having our minds in simplicity is to understanding the eternal kingdom. When we see the king, see, we have a king named Jesus, and he's seated upon his heavenly throne, and he will be seated there for all of eternity, and he will be glorified, and he will live among his people. And we have an eternal kingdom. Man, this is not going to be a boring kingdom. This is going to be a kingdom of ever-increasing building of God's purposes, of us expanding the glory of God throughout all of the ages to come. We have that king, and when we begin to see that in right perspective, every single other thing in our lives comes into perspective. If I were to come and tell you, do away with things, stop, you know, stop, um, uh, stop accumulating things, it makes no sense if you don't have an understanding of the eternal perspective, the fact that those things are so short-lived in comparison with the greater and greater glory. How do we gain an eternal perspective? How do we get this Mindset as we're looking that, that simplicity starts in the mind, we must be students of God's Word. We must. We must choose the Bible as precious above every other thing for the way we live our lives. I want to mention this. Uh, Karl Barth was a Swiss Reformed theologian. He's often regarded as the greatest Protestant theologian of the 20th century. And he lived during the Nazi era. Praise God, the world couldn't corrupt his faith. You know, he was asked later by an American audience to summarize the gift of his enormous and vast knowledge. This man knew the Word of God. He knew he was, he was the most foremost theologian. They said, what is it you've gotten of all of this? He says, he replied back to them, and he charmed them by quoting a Sunday school song. Well, the most thing that I've learned from this entire <laughs> vast measure of my understanding is Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so this man who was a vast and learned man had a simplicity focused on Jesus because he would not let go 
of God's Word. Every single thing in this Word of God is pointing to the person of Jesus. It invigorates our hearts for Jesus. It lights us on fire for Him. Does it always feel like it's lighting us on fire? Tabor? No, not really. Maybe it does for you. It doesn't always feel like I'm being lit on fire. But as we take by faith, this is the one, uh, th- this is the one thing in all of the world that we can read and lay hold of that transforms our mind completely. It goes completely against the grain of every other thing. I committed many, many years ago that I would be a student of God's Word. If I was going to be excellent at knowing something, I'd be excellent at knowing God's Word. I didn't do that because I was a pastor. I did that because I wanted to know Jesus, because my mind was completely out of whack. Anybody have a mind completely out of whack? My mind would not submit (laughs) to the truth. My mind was fractured and fragmented. And God, through His Word, began to give me that. We begin, as we stay in God's Word, to have uh, an understanding of the eternal perspective, we have, but we have that simple understanding. You know, you're never going to have any deeper theology and more important theology in your life than Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Praise His holy name. I wanted to mention this earlier as an aside. Aren't you glad that God grades on the curve? Anybody ever a a struggling student as I was? I've said it before, I'll just say it today. Just going to do it. Feeling free enough to do it. Some of you out there, you're very learned. You graduated magna cum laude. Some of you graduated. Any magna cum laude out there? We honor you. Thank you. Any summa cum laude's? I didn't know you were magna cum laude. Any summa? Well, I graduated thank the laude. All right? But anyway, I'll tell you. <clears throat> but there's one thing that's captured my mind. It's the beauties and the glories and the depth, and the breadth, and the height, and the width of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I seek Him every day in His Word. Not because I'm your pastor, but because I'm a child who simply needs to know His Father's love. I'm a, I'm a, a brother of the King. I want to get to know God more. This simplicity thing, everything comes down. What is simplicity? It's really knowing what the most important thing is. <laughs> we get complex when we don't know. And this commitment to God's Word, I don't know how to get it across to you. Uh, That was an attempt to get the desire in you to pick up God's Word and just do it. Read His Word. You say, well, I don't really understand His Word. Well, keep reading it. Gather with people. I say, His Word is key. This is really the just bottom line of what I want to say about this first thing. The simplicity starting in the mind. If we do not see God more clearly, we will desire things more desperately. I guarantee you that. If we do not see God's eternal kingdom more clearly, if we do not understand who Jesus is more clearly, and I mean, we're all on a journey there. 
I'm still on a journey. But as we see that more clearly, our desire for the unnecessary things that clutter our lives decreases. Praise His name. Simplicity starts where? In the mind. We look also, simplicity though, it doesn't merely start in the mind, but as we begin to get God's Word and as we begin to get under incredible teaching, right? I remember John Lowe is here today. When I heard him teaching at World Mandate, man, my mind was fed. I was thought differently about how God thought about things. It's, you know, we read His Word. We receive teaching. Some of, many of you listen to podcasts. I encourage you to do that. But grid your podcasts through this. So we do that, and we get our minds transformed, but then simplicity works its way into our hearts. That's called godly affections. The mind is eternal perspective. Oh God, give me eternal perspective. What's the greatest eternal perspective ever? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. But then we get the affections transformed by God. 1 John chapter. 2 and verses 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives Forever. Mm. Simplicity of heart is the opposite of in boasting in what we have and we do. Oh, how often we boast in what we have and we do. And don't just think that we ministers or pastoral people don't boast in what we have or what we do. It is a human condition. Whether you're in the clergy or, or you know, you're in the clubhouse. Wherever God has called you, we all have to deal with the realities of not putting our boasting in what we have and do. John is addressing the pride of life. It's, as I said, boasting in what we have and do. By not loving the world, as John exhorts us, we're able to love the people of this world as God truly intended. You know, you could read this and say, don't love the world or the things of the world. You know, just go out and be gruff and grumpy. No. It means do not let the things of the world captivate your affections. Because the more you are captivated with the affections of the world and the desire, it's, it's, just, it's, it's leeching off your ability to truly love as God has intended you to do. What we want to do is have our affections heavenward. And in that way we are able to really love as intended. Praise God. You know, the opposite of simplicity is greed. Here's a little definition of greed. An excessive desire to acquire or possess more that one than one needs or deserves, especially with respect to material wealth. Man, I'm going to talk a minute here about affections. Godly affections, we're talking about simplicity starts in the mind. It works its way into our hearts. Where the godly affection. You were made to be passionate. I don't care what your personality type is. You were made by a passionate God. 
A God who loves intensely. How passionate is our God? He was wounded, beaten, scourged, persecuted, and finally killed on a tree because His passion was burning so intensely for you and for me. We have a passionate God. Not only passionate for His glory, but for our good. Because His glory and our good is the same thing. Anyway. I'll back up here a little. You will, I will worship something. You're unable to not worship. That's what I want to tell you today. The question is, what are you worshiping? What are you giving your deepest affections to? Now, there's a lot of things I like. I'm telling you, I like a pint of ice cream. I've told you that, Cherry Garcia. I will crawl to the back of any... I mean, I don't care how deep, you know, at Stop and Shop that thing is, uh, that, that big freezer. I would crawl to the back of it and lay in there for hours if they would give me a Cherry Garcia. Okay, not that much. But I like Cherry Garcia. I like ice cream. Sometimes I sneak by McDonald's and get me that ice cream. Nick knows about that. Because uh, <clears throat> he's done it with me. Sorry, Sandra. Busted, Nick. Uh, yeah, I like ice cream. I have affection for different things, and that's okay, right? But what is the driving affection of my life? That's what we're talking about. And I tell you, a little quote I had cut out of this sermon. I'll just pop it right back in. <laughs> Mike Bickle, who uh, was in, involved in Kansas City and one of the most passionate men for God that I've ever met. He's scary. It's in a good way, but it's like, woo. You know? He, uh, very simply in his book, Passion for Jesus, he says, Passion for Jesus is not the result of our desire for him, or is not the result of our love for him. It's the result of his love for us. You will never love God more than you know that he loves you. You will never desire God more than you know that He desires you. I'm here to tell you today, God loves you with all that is in His being. He is incredibly in love with you. And He wants to light your fire on that today. I need to love God more. Don't try harder. Receive His love today. Bask in His love. And you say, why Lord? Why would you love me? Well, this is a quote of mine. I like it, so I'm going to give it to you. Just take it, write it down, email it, tweet it. God does not love us because we are good. God loves us because He is good. Praise His holy name. Please let that penetrate your soul today. He grades on the curve. We're all thank the loudy in our spiritual lives. Uh, I'm thankful for the brilliant people we have and for your humble hearts. I'm just impressed with every aspect of who you are mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But we're all thank the loudies. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and grace. Our daughter Liv is two years old, and I'm incredibly in loving of this little girl. But one thing that happens, and many of you out there have children. If you got children, raise your hand. Yeah, right out there, you got them. So you've probably experienced something like this. Whenever praise music comes on, Jesus, 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 
She was made to do it. I don't know how, how does she know she, I mean, yes, of course, we've, we've modeled things for her, but this little girl was made to worship when she hears that. You know, she's not old enough to understand everything, but she was made to worship. Oh, and my concern for us is that unless we learn to worship Jesus, we worship inferior things that destroy our lives and destroy the lives of those who've never heard the good news of Jesus. Man, as we keep our affection on Jesus getting bigger and bigger and bigger, because we know His affection for us, then it makes a huge tent that reaches all the way to the most unreached of the world. If we don't have a big affection for God, we won't have a wide influence for God. That's what we want. Because He's promised that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people are going to worship before His throne. You know, one of the hard issues we deal with in facing this simplicity issue in our modern culture is the obsession with the new. Anybody got that? Right? I'm already one of the iPhone 12. <laughs> is that out yet? No. Still got a five. Uh, <clears throat> a need to have everything now and everything new deeply affects our simplicity of heart. In a November 2012 Forbes article named Resist Planned Obsolescence or Accept the Financial Consequences, Luke Landers describes this obsession with the new. He says this, I don't believe I have it up here, but I'll just read it to you. Products of all types, cars, incandescent bulbs, your iPad and iPhone are designed with planned obsolescence in mind. I know you're all uh, very smart people, but planned obsolescence, it's meant to be extinct before its life cycle's over. Planned obsolescence in mind. The need or desire to replace products quickly and shorter product life cycle are a consistent drain on wealth. In the previous generation, the latest television sets were big household expenses, just like they are today. But they stayed operational and sufficient for a couple of decades. Today, I don't know anyone whose main television is older than five years. I don't want to be arrogant, but mine's getting close. <laughs> but I've got to have a new one. Uh, and with new technology continually entering the market, high definition, internet connectivity, LED backlighting, 122.44. This is old, so all that's uh, upgraded by now. Salespeople always have a reason to convince consumers to upgrade. The older relatives of today's technology still work fine. But this is the core of planned obsolescence. Products are designed in a way that consumers don't want to keep the old. How do you think this affects our spiritual lives? Give me something new, Jesus. I know that, you know. Yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And Jesus is saying, you haven't even seen the height or the depth, or the width, or the breadth of my love for you. C.S. Lewis says it this way. All that is not Eternal is eternally 
out of date. All that is not eternal is eternally out of date. It's okay to have an iPhone 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, uh, prime numbers, uh, whatever other numbers. It's okay to have those. But I'm telling you, there has to be a passion ever growing in our hearts with Jesus. And this is the point I want to make just very quickly on this. Is that sometimes Jesus doesn't give you the warm fuzzies. I know that. But that's where you continue to renew your mind. That's where you continue to come before Him in worship and expectation. He will give you those. I mean, we believe that He gives you an experience of His love. We believe in that here. But I'm telling you, there are times in your life where it will not be easy. It will seem cruel. It will be this. But God is committed to you. And He's committed to affection. God has affection for you. Simplicity starts in the mind. Say mind. Works its way into your heart. Is it in your heart more today? Oh man, it's really good. Simplicity completes itself in our actions. We're just going to go here a little bit. Godly actions. So we have eternal perspective. We have godly affections. Holy affections. And we have godly actions. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Bree read this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Simplicity starts in our minds. It works its way into our hearts. But unless simplicity is worked into our actions, we're not living in true godly simplicity. It's as Ron said earlier, it's a good idea that we felt good about and kind of feel good that we thought about it. We're not merely seeking in any way to increase our standard of living, but our standard of giving. Just give you one other illustration. I'm going to close up here with three practicals for living a, a life of true simplicity before the Lord. Well, okay, that's fine. Yeah, there you go. How about this one? Look deep into my eye. Yes. Yes, I do. I do need curtains. Anybody been familiar with the target eye? Boy, I have. I mean, you walk in there and you're like, I'm going to get toilet paper. (laughs) I come out with a bedroom set. (laughs) Three real quick practicals because we want to have a little bit of time to respond here today. I'm not giving you all the practicals. That's why I went for the mind and the heart because it really flows out of that. You're just rearranging ships on the Titanic if you don't get your mind and your heart into it. Okay? But, here we go. Devote what, you, what we have. This is a way to do it. Devote what we have to God and to others. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good. To be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. It is not so much what you have, whether you have a lot or not. It is what has you. What has you? What controls you? Some people can handle. That's why God blesses people (laughs) in such ways. Some people can handle more. Some people can't. But with Sarah and me, we've made a commitment not to buy anything we're not willing to allow others to use. And to enjoy. I'm not just saying, hey, take this and just ruin it, please. No, we have wisdom in it, but we are not. We are committed. If what we have cannot be used by others, we're not living in true godly simplicity. Think about it next time you buy something. 
Is this, can this be used by the greater community? I'm not giving somebody my wedding ring. We understand there are certain issues, but you get the gist? Say yes if you do. We can't have things that are off limits to others. They don't all need to be shared with others all the time. You don't need to go out and do a garage sale, but it's open. The second thing, so devote what we have to God and others. The second is de-accumulate regularly. My wife didn't like it, but I, for some reason, I, and nothing personal, if this is a, uh, an issue in your life, I'll pray for you. <laughs> but I, I'm sorry, I really like the hoarding shows. It's just, you know, I'm like, it's not because I'm judging the person. I'm just like, that is so us. We're so insanely attached to things, you know. But D, accumulate regularly. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on who? Oh, Jeff. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I almost want to just, you could just quit there and worship him. But we've got to go forward. Mother Teresa said it this way, The more you have, the more you are occupied. The less you have, the more free you are. I guarantee you, if you own a home, as I do, you're occupied. And that's not a bad thing. You just have to realize that uh, more and more things mean more occupation. I'm, uh, I have run two marathons. Sorry, Ron. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> seven or eight half marathons. But obviously not really right now, but I, I had done that. <clears throat> but anyway, I, my first marathon I trained for, I was running. And for some reason, I carried two water bottles, big like 20 ounces, you know, like Gatorade bottles that had the pop-off lids. That you, and so I'd carry them with me, and I, I ran this race. The first one I ran was Hartford 1999, which is the craziest thing on earth. Do you know the last two miles of that, what the name of the street, the last two miles of the, Harvard, uh, the, the Hartford Marathon is? Asylum Road? <laughs> if you've never run a marathon, you didn't understand that. I mean, you're just like, you're running up there dying. You're like, asylum? Where's the asylum? I'm going to it. Anyway, about mile 13, I'm with my friends, Kevin Johnson, Jimmy Seibert, uh, Ty Denny, Sean Richmond, and we're running, and I'm, I'm kind of with Kevin Johnson for a while. He's staying back with me. We get to mile 13, and the guy next to us says, yeah, <laughs> there's two halves of a marathon, mile 1 through 20 and mile 21 through 26. And I'm like, you just shut up, man. I'm just done, you know. But so <clears throat> I'm getting somewhere with this. At one point in the race, we hit the wall. Kaboom. Yeah, you can hit it. It's a place between 18 and 22 miles, in my case, probably 17, uh, where you feel like you are dying. And uh, I was running next to my friend Kevin. I had these two water bottles, and I realized, what in the world have I, I have a flaw in my training strategy here. (laughs) I'm carrying, because they give water on the side of the road. But to train, you know, I didn't want to have to lay all my bottles out. And so I, I throw them down violently. <laughs> this is how we should... And I completed the race. Right up Asylum Road. Checked right in. No, I didn't. Felt like, at the end of it, I'm just going to say it to you. At the end of it, all my endorphins or whatever were busted. And so I was like... 
the person next to me, I know who, I love you, we made it, you know, and they're like, very New England, you know, like, but, it's how we should approach deaccumulation, determine what is weighing us down in our freedom of relationship with God and others, and get rid of it, so you can run this race, run it well, you and I, me included, we we throw water bottles down. We pick them back up. It's called human nature. Okay. The last thing, so we're devoting what we have to God and others. We're deaccumulating regularly and debt-free living. Thank you. Personal debt is the idea that whatever I have is not enough, so I have to leverage my life in order to get that thing that I think I need. There are conditions where people are very poor. I'm not speaking to the indigent completely in that. There's places where people don't have. You understand that. But debt is almost always fueled by dissatisfaction. And God wants our heart. Mark 12, 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. One way that Sarah and I have chosen to live debt-free is with our cars, if you've ever noticed. Uh, since we've been married, we've never owned a car in the same decade as what we're living. You understand what I'm saying? We're in the 2010s. Um, we have a 2005, which is fine. We're not doing that to be spiritual, okay? <laughs> Just happened that way. But we've chosen not to go into debt. That's one reason why, when we buy um, our cars and to own what we can afford. A couple of years ago, our 1996 Forerunner, that was a beauty until I backed into a couple of things. <clears throat> and, uh, but our 1996 Forerunner was coming to the end of its life cycle, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and we had two children, and we were going to have a third. And so, uh, but we had chosen not to go into debt. We really didn't have money for a new car. Well, an opportunity came up for Sarah to help our friends, Tyler and Lauren, to move to Asia, and they went there to start a business and to reach unreached people groups for Jesus, people who've never heard about Jesus. And Sarah committed to going with them. She was gone 11 days. I don't know if you married people understand this, but if your spouse is ever gone, you always put two more days on it and they put two less. It's like, I was gone three days. And I'm like, you were gone seven. But she was gone 11 days according to me, and I took care of the children. But she, what ended up happening through this thing is that this couple, they said to us, Tyler and Lynn, they said, we were in prayer and God spoke to us to give you our car. And we're like, praise God. It's an incredible thing. We were so blessed. You know, the reality is it was, we, our car at that time, we could have maybe worked something out. I could have put you somewhere, Jude. But <laughs> the reality of the matter is that... Um, Our car wasn't big enough. And God knew that. And you know, I'll just tell you this. If you choose to live simply and debt-free, you get a first-hand look at God's delight in providing for His children. If we are always circling around in some way to provide for ourselves, we lack an understanding of the intimacy of God's provision for our lives. What's our conclusion here? Living simply, it starts in the mind. It works its way into our hearts. And it's completed in our actions. Why don't we stand? The band, if you'd come forward. I just want you to look at a couple of these questions, and then we're going to have a few minutes for response. Just very simple response today. Here's some questions you can ask, though, this week. 
if in job, possessions, will this job or possession increase or decrease my ability to love Jesus? It may be a neutral, and that's okay. <laughs> if it's neutral, then you've got lateral movement in the Lord. But will this action improve my effectiveness in seeing those who don't know Jesus saved and believers built up? How about the other side? Will it hinder me from, from reaching other people? Am I willing to allow this object to be freely used by others? If God so desires, think about that when you're buying stuff. And will this possession add spiritual value to my community of faith and to the city that we live in? Those are some good kind of ideas to think through. But I want us to have a little bit of time for response, and I have one thing to say at the end after our response. Here are some questions as we go in. I just want us to respond out in our seats today. I want you to maybe turn to your spouse, someone to you are in school with, or someone that's your roommate, or whoever, or just in your own personal time. I want you to ask, is there anything in my life taking away, any possession in my life taking away from my ability to love Jesus with all my heart? Am I willing to wait for God to provide for me rather than to be driven by greed or insecurity? Is there anything I'm not willing to offer to the larger body of Christ for the building up of His church? There's just a few things, just prompts for you to think through. There's no condemnation here today. God's here about setting you free. So let's just pray right now. Lord, we're committing our lives to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you lived simply for us on this earth. You never once stepped past that boundary of doing something for yourself that was harmful for someone else. We're believing you today as we respond that your grace would be upon us. Jesus name why don't we just take a few minutes just to worship the Lord and allow him to speak to our hearts maybe one action point just ask the Lord give me one action point out of what we've talked about today that I can do this week to respond to you